Well, you know, it's only four hours from from where we live to get over to Louisville. Yeah. So uh, that's where we headed. Uh, um, Mom t- takes her sons on the bourbon trail. That's, that, well, can't everybody have a mom like that exactly. in America? That, you're the, you are the American mom everybody dreams of out there. Welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the bourbon road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hey, this is Big Chief from the Bourbon Road, and I'm in Denison, Texas, visiting Iron Root Republic Distillery, and they they definitely hit the ground running. Not that old of a distillery, and they actually won World Whiskey Awards from Whiskey Magazine Bourbon of the Year. Now that for 2020. Now that's some amazing stuff, and I've got Marsha, the mother of Texas whiskey, with me, and Robert Licorice, one of the founders and owners how's it going it's going it's going good huh it is we're, we're about to drink some whiskey yeah so i'm excited to be here with you guys we like to get straight to the whiskey all right no doubt about it let's do it and you got something in front of me what do we got so that is going to be harbinger 115 that is the one that won the award this year uh, it's our flagship whiskey it was the very first whiskey we ever released um and it's our uh, a bourbon that's made from uh, three different corns, um, bloody butcher corn, purple corn, um, a flint corn, and then a low rye, and then also some yellow corn in there too. A lot of, a lot of floral on that nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how old is this? So that the youngest barrels in the blend are going to be 32 months with this one. The oldest ones are going to be just over four years old. Now, our listeners are probably saying, man, that is a young whiskey, right? It is a young whiskey. Oh, it yeah. d- definitely doesn't look young. It's that dark amber color, that, that just the amber goodness, the American spirit in the glass. You're looking through it, beautiful looking whiskey and stuff, but it's a Texas bourbon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Texas weather isn't shy, and so the color comes out pretty darn quickly around here. So, you ever heard that song, Chris Ledoux's This this Cowboy Hat? You ever heard that song? I don't think so. You should listen to that hat, because I, I said, you, uh, I wrote a blog yesterday, and I said, Texas Whiskey, they should have a sequel to that to that song, just about Texas Whiskey, because he says, I roped a, a white northern or a Texas tornado or something in that song, and um, I think... Uh, Texas distillers have harnessed and tamed that Texas heat to make some whiskey. That's the goal. That's, That's the, the goal. difficult part of making whiskey here, but it's uh, it also what's what makes it so much fun. So this this is a young whiskey. I don't get a whole lot of alcohol just punching me in the nose. I get some vanillas, that floral I was talking about, maybe some like peach in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we tend to see a lot of peach, apricot, those type of Orange notes. marmalade. Yeah. Orange marmalade. Now, I, that, I could get with that. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's Some let's, nice baking spices with it. Let's taste this sucker. Oh, that's nice. That pot still distillation that just gives you, it just coats that tongue and, and uh, really gives you kind of a, a flavor all throughout from the beginning to the end. Yeah, that's got a nice finish on it. The taste, though, is just to me is amazing. A little bit of uh, cinnamon candy with that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of it, you know, something else I've. I've tasted before that maybe those just a little bit of pop rocks, maybe there pop we, it on the back end. Mm-hmm. We like to say that it's brunch. You get a lot of those, uh, um, a little molasses. bit of that molasses, yeah. the pancakes, the, uh, then with that orange marmalade and the light fruit with it, it's kind of a. Man, you're making it sound good. It does. <laughs> it's like she's a professional over there. Well, that was, we, we'd had breakfast with Peggy Nell Stevens uh-huh. and we, we paired some whiskeys with breakfast with her one time and. That was one of the best interviews I'd ever done before with her. It was just, it was amazing to sit down and her, listen to her pair of foods and to, to hear people say, you can drink a bourbon or a whiskey with this brunch. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things to make a uh, 
bourbon mimosa. Oh, heck yes. <laughs> now you got me thirsty over here. I don't know. We've done some uh, breakfast old fashions with uh, a little bit of bacon and uh, maybe one of those little uh, uh, eggle waffles. waffles with the cinnamon oh, yeah. on them as the... Uh, uh, you had a little bit of candied bacon. Yeah, mm-hmm. candied that, bacon. That's, that's good right there, right? Mm-hmm. Best part of waking up. So what year was Iron Root founded? So we were we started distilling 2014. Uh, before that, we took uh, probably a good four or five years of just kind of studying and research just because both my brother, myself, and my mother did not come from any sort of beverage-making background, um, distilling, wine, beer, otherwise. So uh, when we first decided this was kind of the thing that inspired that inspired us to go in a direction start our own business we knew we needed to take the time to really learn what the heck we were supposed to be doing and so we kind of tried to like find out what people who we thought were doing a really great job i mean that's how we ended up uh talking with the guys down in waco down at balcones it's how we ran into bear and nancy fraley um and that's kind of then that led to the kind of the uh the french connection and the uh the inspiration of how they do stuff in France and kind of how to use what they do here in Texas again to help tame the Texas weather. And that's why we always say that it's fate that brought us to Denison because it is that um, relationship with with cognac that was developed because of the history of Denison and um, a lot of the techniques that we use to harness this Texas uh, heat come from um, a lot of the techniques that we've learned through them. So it's been a uh, um, we, we, we think we belong here. Now that you didn't, Rob, you didn't start out in whiskey. You said, you know, you, you and your brother started out doing stuff and what's your background? So I graduated from undergrad in economics, uh, in Sherman, Texas, just right next door to here. Uh, from there went to law school in St. Louis and I graduated from law school, got my JD, but never took the bar exam. Immediately went from graduating law school to the bourbon trail with my mom to to go learn about distilling. And Your mom on, took you on a bourbon trail. Oh, my mom took me on the bourbon trail. Well, you know, trail. it's only four hours from from where we live to get over to Louisville. Yeah. So uh, that's where we headed. Uh, um, mom t- takes her sons on the bourbon trail. That, that, well, can't everybody have a mom like that exactly. in America? That, you're the, you are the American mom everybody dreams of out there. Yeah, so. uh, Jonathan uh, didn't get to go. He uh, uh, he has a little bit different background. He's a industrial engineer. He has a master's in biomedical engineering. So he really had a real job over in Fort Worth. Uh, he was designing Marsh and I saw were blades out the, <laughs> the bourbon for, trail. Yeah, yeah, for neurosurgery and. Uh, uh, he was uh, so, and once we got into it, he said, "I'm not working over here in a cubicle. We're all going to do this together." And so we all uh, took the leap of faith. Now, could you ever imagine, Marsha, is whenever you're, uh, you know, you're raising your two sons, that you guys were going to own a distillery together? I didn't even know what a distillery was. I mean, I grew up in Montana, and um, they drink plenty of whiskey yeah, in Montana. We, 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 yeah, but they don't didn't make a lot of it back then. They've <laughs> no. got some good distilleries now, but back back then there was nothing. Uh, you know, uh, usually I think we had more Canadian whiskey coming over from the border than we did uh, anything else. But um, we we actually discovered this on a family reunion up in Washington State, and we visited our first distillery, and that was the first point where we thought, oh. We could do this. It was it was in a shopping center next to a Thai food restaurant that we were eating. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that distillery? Oh yeah, it was oh. Dry Fly Distilling. Dry Fly Distillery. Huh? So, did you notice? You probably don't keep up with Instagram or anything, but my post today was about Dry Fly, and our <laughs> our episode that we released today was about Dry Fly. Yeah. See, look at how things interconnect. Uh, it does. Interconnect. They went up there and spent seven or yeah, eight. I'm yeah, they went up there and actually right did their first opened. internship was with Dry Fly. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. See, everything ties. Our whiskey culture and our community is just is more tight knit than most people realize. That's exactly right. Small world, and they're doing goodness. great up there still. So that's wonderful. So you're out in Montana. You raise your boys, uh, and you know you get them off to college. One's um, got his job. The other one you're taking around on the old bourbon trail. There, just <laughs> getting him boozed up on whiskey. Mm, that's right. Not the 
not 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 the leave it to beaver family though <laughs> no. I, no. I was gonna say they are the beaver boys but they're like straight off that show you got the clean cut looking um um that's this is just for you this haircut's just for you <laughs> but but not your typical american family dream right there let's let's open up no, yeah when, you know, when they first mentioned it and you think you've got okay they both have real jobs that are they both have we've gotten them through college life is good and then at christmas he sits down at the dinner table and tells us he's going to start a distillery and everybody just kind of after the initial, you know, few minutes of trying to process what he just said, um, everybody kind of fell into it. And their dad had always teased them we about wanting to. We joked about it yeah. since we had visited Dry Fly in like 2007. Like when we retired, that's what we were going to do was start a distillery because mm-hmm. copper is kind of in our blood a little bit. Again, my parents are from Butte, Montana, which is the home of the Copper Kings and copper, all that. Copper yeah, country. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there's just something that were so primal when we saw the copper stills because we've been to wineries, been well, to we're breweries. still in the metals business. Their dad's been in yeah. the metals business. For He's been 50 in copper forever. Yeah, but it's yeah. just something about the warmth of copper that really kind of we're like, you know what? That's what we're going to do when we retire. But I graduated and was like, nope, let's do it now. <laughs> so is there a possibility there's some of the copper that he he's mined or? That, that went through his hands. I mean, it in that probably was Who used knows? long ago. But. <laughs> Uh, who would who would know? He does. Uh, That'd be a question more for Vendome, I think. I guess well, I don't know where they get their copper. I, I could definitely find out. I I know a person at Vendome. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask her. So so Gina, if you're listening to this episode, I need to know where they got their uh, <laughs> copper for their steel at. So there's only so many copper mines, and you know what? It's a tight knit community in the mining business, just like the distilling business. You know, most everybody after his 50 years, right? Yeah, I would I would think that would be true. Me and my wife actually uh, about a year ago we stayed up in the in the UP of Michigan, and mm-hmm. a lot of copper up there, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, the hotel we were built was on an old copper mine, on top of an old copper mine. And I could barely sleep at night because I thought, I just know that this whole entire hotel and the floors were leaning in it because <laughs> you're in the UP of Michigan. And I, I, I just knew the whole thing was just going to fall down inside that mine in the middle of the night. So I just didn't sleep very well. Just, just heard the creaking. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, oh boy. So what? The, so we got this and down it. I can see definitely why it won. Uh, bourbon of the year it is just creamy velvety it i actually on the the couple of sips after the first one i got a little bit of almost like a spicy butterscotch to that mm-hmm. um not werther's candy but just that old butterscotch i i'd love that taste <laughs> very good thank you very much mm-hmm. yeah no it's I gonna I think we're gonna contribute a lot of that type of flavor profile comes from again the barrels the the those wave stave casts have that kind of smokiness but this particularly just that butterscotch note that you're talking about um, like it's really really ramped up ten in those wave stave casks and the, sure. the purple corn po- po- uh, is, is such a, a a great partner with the European oak. To pull in those, um, some of those cloves and that, uh, that cinnamon spice, and the yeah. baking spices you get in it. Yeah, I definitely, <clears throat> I can see why everybody loves it and why everybody's craving it. You know, we actually stopped at a liquor store here before. And the only thing I could see on the shelf was one little lonely bottle. <laughs> um, and I was like, but there's, you know, the, I think they had four or five different places for your guys' mm-hmm. product there, but everything was gone. It's the uh, the wonderful and terrible thing about awards. Again, for us, a huge blessing. I mean, it's again for us, especially during this time, it's been just huge for helping us get our whiskey out there and getting getting to hands people. But now it's it's tough to keep stuff on shelves because we're again, as you saw, we were we're a small distillery. So now keeping everything stocked up is uh, is the challenge. So I think we've already this year bottled more than we did all of last year. Which is crazy. And you said you guys are only producing 200, 200, 250 barrels, barrels a year. Yeah. And that, that's it. Yep. We're working on making more. Um, as you said, the back's getting kind of filled up. So yeah. we're, we're, we're working on getting the next barrel warehouse up and going. And then we'll be able to crank things up to a little bit different level. But the stills, we have the capacity. We just, we just, the storage and balancing everything out when you're a small distillery is, uh, um, I, I mean, people say, well, why don't you have more? And I said, do you know when we created this whiskey, how old this distillery was? 
this was a two-year-old distillery, and you don't even know what your whiskey is going to taste like. So yeah. you, you got to be careful on how much you make there. <laughs> that, that's, it's a, it is a balancing act, right? It even is. for the giant guys. Yeah. You know, I, I think if they could looked back ten years ago and said, "There's going to be this, this bourbon boom or a whiskey boom." Mm-hmm. You don't think they wouldn't have put up double what they put up? Yeah. They sure would have. They'd have yeah. filled those coffers up, but um, they'd have been whiskey poor for a little bit. Um, yeah. As some of our good friends have told us before, they everybody thinks they're millionaires, but they're really just whiskey poor. <laughs> they got a lot of liquid assets. Yeah. That's like exactly right. Yeah. A lot of warehouses out there. So let's get into that second pour. What do you okay. got for us for the second pour? second one I'm going to do, uh, so for the second segment, I'm going to do the Bloody Butcher corn versus the purple corn. So I think the other one is going to be one of our other mash bills is a low rye mash bill. So this is going to be the more traditional mash bill. But you'll see even the way that we make it, it doesn't quite really have a traditional Kentucky profile. Let's let's do it. I was just going to say, you didn't do Promethean? Oh. Yeah, we could grab Promethean. Because Promethean, I really like to pair actually, my, my choice is to pair the Promethean with your, with the Harbinger. And the reason why I like to pair it that way is because the Promethean is really the inverse of, of the uh, Harbinger, where um, we have our four uh, uh, primary mash bills, the purple corn, the bloody butcher corn, the red flint corn, and the rye, um, where we showcase the flavors of the purple and the bloody butcher in the harbinger. Uh, on the flip side, Promethean goes. Well, we feature the flint corn and the rye. So you're going to get um, the flavor profile. You'll be surprised, and and this is where you can really showcase and understand what five percent difference in some of these mash bill uh, with these heirloom corns can do because this one um, to us goes more to the darker fruit and the uh, the, the the dark tea you're going to get a little um, a, a totally different finish with it um, this is the brand new one we just uh, actually bottled the Saturday and it is at a, a nice hundred proof uh, so yeah, traditionally we had bottled it at 103, but we made a decision about a year ago that we wanted Promethean to become a bottled in bond. And that means we got to bottle it at 100 proof. So we've raised the age statement, moved it to 100 proof, and now we're, co- we're going to slowly march to that four-year age statement to become the bottled in bond. Mm-hmm. So you got two different bottle styles here. Walk me through that real fast. Of how did you go from that? I can tell you that uh, the uh, the original bottle was the horseshoe shape, and that and we really uh, enjoyed that. Uh, and um, when we uh, started with it, we we do they came out of China, and then um, we had two reasons for changing. One was the fact that it, it, when we realized when it when it goes into uh, on premise or at bars, it's a little tippier. It's a little bit harder to deal with. It's got a short neck. It also, when they turn it sideways, you have no no uh, um, uh, branding. branding on it at all. Um, the second reason was that with the new tariffs, it went from a 30% increase to, I think it's a 285 or 89% increase on the glass. And we'd rather drink our whiskey than look at the bottle. So it, uh, it was going to change the price point. So by the time it got to shelf, the price would be $15 more a bottle. And that was not something we wanted to do. As when we, you and I were talking earlier, I have a very strong belief in different price points on whiskey and that I want to be able to afford my own whiskey. And so for me, keeping our price point was more important than uh, keeping the, the old bottle shape. There's going to be some really nice upgrades on the labeling that will be coming. Um, probably out by the fall, I think. Uh, we're just uh, waiting to get everything finalized on on the label approvals and things. So uh, there'll be another change uh, in the in the labels, which I think everybody will appreciate. These are, too. These are holding pattern labels <laughs> right now. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You got to sometimes you got to kick that can down the road a little bit mm-hmm. to to get where you're going. Um, and I still think the new bottle is super beautiful. To me, that's what I could imagine John Wayne carrying around. I mean, it fits in a holster pretty well. Does it? Is that what you do? Walk around <laughs> yeah, your house with that's, those, that's right. Those stuff? No wonder you're not married yet. <laughs> <laughs> so cheers. cheers. Let's, let's taste this thing. Man, I get some dark 
dark, dark. rich toffee in that. Um, almost whenever you walk up to a kettle corn, mm-hmm. um, smell that kettle corn cook. Sometimes you get a light, nice light, light chocolate. Get a little yeah, bit of cinnamon little, with it. Maybe some toffee. Uh-huh. Um, that's a little bit lighter than the last one, um, but more, more rich. I get a little bit more of the oak out of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get that that chocolate taste, mm-hmm. maybe more of a baker's chocolate. Mm-hmm. You know, that not bitter, but uh, and some of our listeners might. It's not you know, you candy bar. No. Candy bar super sweet, but baker's chocolate mm-hmm. is just. Just raw chocolate. That's it's good. I used to eat my mom's all the time. She'd be like, "Where's that chocolate at?" I ate it. <laughs> just took a whole big old chunk off of there. <laughs> Said chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you did? Was a kid? Was a kid? No, I steal a lot of other stuff out of the pantry though. I was always stealing food out of the pantry. <laughs> yeah. Robert wasn't as big on the sweets. No. More still the macaroni. That's more of what I always go after. <laughs> my dad was always had the chocolate. And whenever you went to visit him, he always had a, a can, and in it he'd have the, the chocolate. And that was kind of the treat when you got to go to his work, and you'd find the can of chocolate. I, I just get so much out of this. Um, I get the vanillas and the caramels, everything. Just, it's very complex and layered. The, I think the longer it's in my glass, the more it opens up mm-hmm. and the more I'm going to get out of it, especially for 100 proof. Usually you would say that out of something that's – 120, 130, but this is that, uh, it, I'm just amazed when I look at these colors, because whenever I see a Kentucky bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey, they can, to get this color, you would have a nine-year-old or a, mm-hmm. up to a 12-year-old um, whiskey. Even sometimes even older than that, 15 to 20 years old is not even as dark as this. <laughs> um, yeah. You get really deep into the wood. Mm-hmm. And that, again, it's that Texas weather. I think I, we always get asked, what is the Texas profile? And it, it's a really hard thing to nail down just because there's so many different things being done in Texas, different styles of whiskey being done. But I think that with the weather and the intensity, you do get this really deep, deep density of flavor um, that you typically get just because you're getting so deep into that wood. I think that's one common LDSE. Um, again, with Balcones, Garrison, what we do that it, it is, it is a very dense flavor profile typically. So even at lower proofs, I, I think Texas has got it going on right now. If people aren't down here trying to buy the whiskey, if you're not trying to find it on the shelf, if you're not searching it out, probably something I think that you should have on your shelf. I, I, I really can't get enough of it at my house. I'm just like trying to seek it out. And, um, and in Kentucky, you guys' bottles are on the shelf, but I don't see enough of them up there. And I'm sure that is a that's a growing thing. And eventually, I think you'll be all the way around in the United States and hopefully overseas. We're working on it. Working we're working on, on it. On it. <laughs> so yeah, right, right now, we're in about 35 states. Um, again, with uh, Total Wine, we're anywhere you can get their stuff. You can get find uh, a couple of our bottlings. It's, right now, we've only got two that go nationwide. Um, the rest of the stuff is Texas only for the moment. Um, I, again, I think that's one thing, again, with the smaller distilleries, it's just building up to where you can get that that, that whiskey out there. But you are nationwide. We are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In about, I think it's 35 or 38 states. I forget. Mm-hmm. Were, Total Wine was opening up some new states, I believe, this year. So, But I think it's 35 states right now. And what about uh, in military bases? Military bases. Right now, we're in the Navy bases. So you can get uh, Promethean, uh, uh, Hubris every once in a while to military bases, uh, naval bases for us. We do a and lot the of things. the Harbinger 90. Yeah, I'm, and Sometimes. we just got an order for the 115 proof Harbinger, so a few cases will be going out to the Navy bases for, of that one as well. Well, that's nice to see that the military guys. You know, me and Jim are both veterans. He's he's actually a Navy veteran, a submariner, and he'll be happy to hear that it's in Navy bases. Um, the sailors mm-hmm. actually can drink something besides rum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I gotta say, this is this is some excellent whiskey. How did you decide on Denison, Texas to put a distillery at? So when we first, we knew that we were going to come back because Jonathan and I had both left Texas to go to grad school and we knew we were, he had come back to Fort Worth for, for a job and his wife said, you guys can do something this dumb 
as long as we were still in Texas. So we knew we were going to stay in Texas. Um, at the time when we were looking at where distilleries were, there was a bunch down the hill country and not really any in north of the, above Waco. And so we were like, you know what, let's start looking, looking around North Texas and kind of see what, what there is to, to find out here. And, um, a lot of the towns at the time were, were dry. They did not want distillery. You'd go in there and be like, Hey, we want to put a distillery there. And they're like, next town over, sir. Not, not interested in, in hard liquor. Um, and then we ran into Denison and Denison was a town that they said, how, how can we get you here? We want it. We want you here. We're, we, we see this as something that can add value to our community. And, um, Denison actually has a history. Um, so they, back in the late 1800s, a gentleman lived here named TV Munson. He was a viticulturist trying to figure out how to grow European grapes here in the U S and he, uh, uh, was bringing French grapes over, but they'd plant them. And after a few years, they'd die off. And so we discovered we have all these plant diseases here they didn't have over in Europe. And so the plant European plants had no immunity to them, but the Texas grapes did. And so he found a particular Texas grape that was essentially immune to something specifically called phylloxera. And he started grafting the European grapes on top of a lot of the French grapes. And he was able to start growing, growing them here. Well, around that same time, Phylloxera got transferred from the U.S. over to Europe, and it decimated the French wine industry. About 80% of the French grapes were wiped out. So Cognac, Bordeaux, Burgundy, all those regions were just decimated. Uh, they were That's why Cognac fell out of favor and single malt ris- whiskey became so popular was because there literally, yeah, there literally wasn't Cognac to be made because the grapes had died off. And so the French freaked out. They started to basically going all around the world trying to find solutions. And one of the solutions they found was through the Smithsonian, because this crazy guy in Denison, Texas, had been sending them all of his papers uh, on on this Texas grapefruit with the French uh, wines on or vines attached to the top of it. Next thing you know, they're shipping the Texas grapevines over there. So even to this day, a large portion of uh, of the grapes around the world are grafted on top of descendants of this Texas grapefruit because it is so resistant. Um, so that's where the iron root and iron roots from Texas, the name comes from for that reason, Cognac and Denison became sister cities. And, uh, for every few years, the mayor of Cognac and even some of the master Cognac distillers will come and visit. And so we've gotten to develop this really great relationship with a lot of the, the Cognac producers. Um, so it, even enough so that, uh, in the last year or I guess two years ago now, Marsha and I actually went over to Cognac. They put us up in one of the chateaus. French chateaus, one of the producers put up in their, their big mansion. And then we got to tour around Cognac for a week. Um, just like, you know, again, visiting all distilleries as they were doing all their distillation runs and going and tasting stuff off the still with them and talking about stuff. And then even one producer had me go out for a couple of days and I went and ran his stills for a couple of days. Um, what did Marsha do in that time? Oh, she was drinking, eating, eating cheese and drinking wine that, and rum. Is that so. what you were doing? <laughs> a little bit of bread and cheese? She told well, me she's not getting up at 5 a.m. on her vacation. <laughs> a lot of them are, sm- are, are small distilleries. Actually, we spent a lot of time visiting and touring. We got to do, uh, what do they call their bridges? Toner? Uh, uh, toner. Yeah, yeah. Tenerese or whatever it is. My yeah, French is failing me right now. So they, uh, we, we had a wonderful opportunity to go out uh, to Vicard, and we, um, then we had a uh, an, a friend that uh, had had moved and been distilling over there, and he had contacts, and we were invited to some uh, to taste some of the oldest cognacs from some of the. Uh, 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 in some of the cellars that uh, most people don't get to do. So we just had a, a phenomenal time over yeah. there uh, visiting and meeting some people and tasting things that were made. Um, we taste pre- some stuff from out of the 1800s. Yes. Again, they asked us if we want to do a decades tasting. So I was like, oh, yeah, 100%, maybe like 60s, 70s, 80s. Now it was 1880, 1819, and 1900, 1930. And then the last one they said was an interesting one because it was like 1941. It was distilled when the Germans Germans are the ones who harvested that. And so it was, it was really interesting that they were showing, like, and showing the differences of what they did and what the Germans did while they were there. 
but it was a. Um, I mean, I the Germans do know how to make some wine. Oh, they do. They, they do. do. So it, beer. All right, they they were. I mean, it was yes. successful. It did not taste bad, but it was one of those things that it just kind of puts the world in perspective. And talking with the cognac producers, I mean, they kind of have the opposite system in, in cognac, where there's six thousand distilleries, but there's only about 150 brands because the brands they actually will contract out to all the small you know, craft producers, even the big giant distill, uh, giant brands like Hennessy, they buy basically all their, their, uh, cognac from small farmers. And that's what they use to make all the, so it's the, the big brands source from all the little <laughs> guys there. And Marcia, how did you feel pretty special to get to drink some of that stuff oh, from the 1800s? And it was so amazing. And, um, it, it it really puts in perspective what you know. There's so there's a difference between a bourbon and a cognac, and a lot of it is there's a lot of soft finesses and things that um, uh, that take that delicate time. You know, brandies. Um, you, you you have to you have to to uh, treat them a little more delicately than you do uh, uh, the the bourbons, I think. And so, just uh, it was amazing the flavors and the depth. Now, flavor. You, you kind of said something I'd, I noticed, and our list, some of our listeners might not understand the difference between cognac and brandy. And it, so, cognac is kind of like bourbon, where all cognac is brandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't, all not brandy not, is cognac. Not every brandy is a cognac, so yeah. they're very strict on their rules. Yeah. So, bourbon, all bourbons, whiskey, but not all whiskey's bourbon, right? So, cognac's kind of that. That special, yeah, same. It's its special designation of yeah. brandy, yeah, for sure. Well, let's finish this. Uh, mm-hmm. what we have in our glass mm-hmm. up, and uh, we'll take a break, and we'll come back from the second half, and we'll we'll try two more expressions. Perfect. All right. <laughs> like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family-owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Hey, so it's Big Chief. We're back here for our second half with Iron Root Republic Distillery. Rob, what are you? What's the third pour you got for me? So the third pour we're doing. This is uh, now you've had kind of our standard products. I'm breaking it down into our different mash bills. So uh, this one is our purple corn mash bill. It's in Euro Oak. That's uh, a three year old uh, sitting right at cast strengths, 121 proof on this guy. It would be a single barrel. Yeah, this one's a single barrel. 100 percent corn. You ever uh, had those red redfish? Oh, spicy yeah. redfish. I'm getting that on this. <laughs> I was going to say Twizzler, but I get a little spice in there. So those redfish, I think, have a little spice to them. I don't know what those are called. I just call them redfish. Yeah. Swedish fish? Is Swedish that what they call them? Swedish yeah. fish. Mm-hmm. Let's taste this thing. I can get some honey off that nose and some the vanillas again and stuff. Most people say that just that typical bourbon whale, but I think that candied redfish or the Swedish fish is a, is a different note. That's mm-hmm. my note. So- it coats your tongue, but it make it it, it it makes it your mouth water almost with it. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and you just want to have another drink. Well, it just beckons to you to say, "Please, just have another sip. Just, just a little, little bit sip. more." <laughs> yeah. 
Now, this is a by the fire, and people would think it doesn't get cold up here in Texas, right? Oh, it definitely gets cold up here. And what's your lowest temperatures in the... Um, during the winter, like December, January, February, we're typically, I mean, at night it'll get below freezing. And then during the day, we're generally in the forties. So it's not freezing, but it's, it ain't warm for, <laughs> that's for sure. Sometimes we get some, uh, the humidity's up and whenever you have a higher humidity, even if it's warmer, it's cold. <laughs> so I, I it, everything's a little bit relative with that. And what's your hot, the hottest uh, hot. I mean, it depends on the year. We had one year where it was like hundred straight days above a hundred where it never got below. Um, but typ- only once. Yeah, year. but typically, like this year, we've only had one day that got a hundred, and the rest of it, and only a handful in the nineties. Even so, we've been most in the eighties this year. It's only June twentieth. <laughs> it was only summer last weekend, Robert. Yeah. So we, we haven't had the hot days yet. Um, but it's uh, it's been a fairly mild year so far. Um, overall. August and September will heat up pretty good. Um, but we have, uh, you know, we don't, we're not doing um, in our warehouse, we do not do temperature control, but the, the building is really well insulated. So even um, even when it's really hot, it, it, you know, it'll get into the mid 90s or something in the warehouse, in the yeah. warehouse but it really even when it, it, it doesn't go below and then it'll it'll cool off into the 70s easily in the evenings. And so we get a really nice. Um, fluctuation of uh you know 20 degrees easily almost daily even in the summer mm-hmm. and uh i noticed you did have some louvers in there too that we do will open up the uh open it up and let it breathe a little yeah, bit yeah we we do um i like i like air airflow uh, again especially if you go back when the humidity is up and it starts feeling is a little stuffy we'll open up the doors and let it breathe a little hey, bit it was a boat dealership we've got six great big doors <laughs> <laughs> so you know, when you say craft distillery, you guys are true craft. So, you got how many barrels stored inside there right now? Um, I think we're closing in right now. I think we have about 700 back there. Yeah, I see. I 760 on yeah. the last one right there. And now you guys decided, hey, we're going to get a little bit bigger. We're going to have to have a place to put more whiskey. Yeah, we keep getting yelled at for not having enough whiskey right now. So, we, we've been working on another warehouse that can hold another about 2,000 barrels. So, the goal is to get up to about 3,000 barrels. Um, but you know, as you and I were talking about earlier, that just on the 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 way that we manage our barrels, that I don't know how much larger beyond three thousand we can go, just because we do take a very individual approach to each cask, and my liver can only take so much at the end of the day. So that's why you got to have a, a master taster. That's right. That's right. Or do you need to bring bring bring, bring big, Peggy back? Bring in. Big Chief back to Texas. We're <laughs> <laughs> tasting through thirty or three hundred barrels today. Let's go. So whenever you're deciding, hey, let's let's bring out a new product, um, we're going to do something different. What's what's on the scope for the future for Iron Root? Uh, so this year, there's a number of barrel finish things that we're doing. Um, we've got a, a couple different ways that we do single barrels. And again, we've got a new one that my brother's rolling out. Um, so one of our single barrel programs we call the Evolution Barrel, which is where we have a group, they'll, they'll pick a barrel and we'll actually only pull about a quarter out of that barrel at a time. And so the first quarter will come out, we'll bottle it, the rest of the whiskey never gets pulled out of the barrel, it stays in there and it will continue aging. And about six months later, we'll pull another quarter out of the barrel and let the rest of the whiskey continue aging. And we'll do that until the barrel is empty. Um, and so you get to see kind of how the barrel ages over a couple of years because one of, one of my big things is I want to show people kind of what we experience here at the distillery, which I think watching whiskey age is one of the most fun things is how did that barrel taste when it was two versus three versus four years old? How did it mature? What is what is maturation really doing to that whiskey? And so he's doing the same thing with the uh, barrel we finishes. We do that specifically with um, an, a restaurant. Uh, we like, uh, And we only will do one in a certain area where it's not a, something we do with everybody. And, and the reason uh, it's neat to do it with our restaurants is the fact that they embrace it so much. And then they, at the end of it, uh, you know, they'll feature cocktails. But at the end, uh, they will um, have a dinner. And they'll let and they'll they'll use our our different corn to make different uh, portions of the meal, and then they will take it and let people taste and have a flight 
of their of their barrel through the through the ages of it, and and so that has been a really fun experience for us and for our, our restaurants. Yeah. So Jonathan's developed one a new thing that we're going to be releasing this year. We're also he wanted to take the same whiskey and show people what different finishes the exact same whiskey would do, and so we've taken barrel of whiskey and divided up amongst two or three different casks. And so you're going to be able to have the original barrel bourbon as is, and then the, as it is with different finishes on it. So what is that same whiskey like with a cognac finish or with Armagnac or Madeira or wh- whatever? And so I think that's kind of a really fun thing that you can really see how these impacted and how much the, the, the finishing cast really impact the, the overall flavor. And that's a revolution barrel as opposed to an evolution barrel. Yeah. <laughs> so this whiskey, I, the more I drink it, the more I'm falling in love with it. It is, it's really good. Uh, maybe it's because we're in the second nah, half already. It's barrel 199. It was really good. <laughs> so I'm getting um, almost some um, hot pepper jelly on that. Or mm-hmm. I, my wife had bought me some jalapeno infused honey. Mm-hmm. And I get that that honey mm-hmm. and that spice together. Um, and, you know, I love that that sweet spiciness. Yeah. Kind of that candied jalapeno. Yeah. You can't get nothing better, right? Nah. <laughs> so what's the second pour you got? Second pour we got going. So now you've had purple corn. Now we're going to do bloody butcher corn. So again, as we said, that's part of our core ma- four core mash bills. So we, we always like to isolate them because, again, when we're doing blending, our philosophy, rather than trying to create something that's uniform in the warehouse, we want to create the most options so we want different barrels to be spicy different ones to be sweet different ones to be heavily tannic because most of our work's done on the blending table to get uh, to our final standard product is to try to put all those components in balance and when we're putting a blend together because we only do blends of about 30 barrels if you put a blend together but it just needs more sweetness or needs more spice or needs more tannin we can go to individual barrels and add those to the blends in order to shift the blend to where we want it to be and so we're very much um cognizant trying to keep things very separate and kind of push things in different directions and so that's why we do all the different corns separately but also i think it's really cool to see what is purple corn versus what is bloody butcher because i think that's part of the journey that we've gone on through exploration was trying to find what these different corns, how would they impact whiskey? Because that's, you know, the not something that was – this small guys are the ones who really started um, experimenting with this. And you've seen Buffalo Trace start doing some experimentation with it and so, as well as some of the other guys with like the amaranth and some of the other uh, heirloom grains. And so to me, it's really, really interesting to see them on an individual level as well as the blend. Well, I got to say this – out of all the bottles that you put out for us to sample today, this is actually the darkest out of mm-hmm. all of them. Um, and we got Jeff the Creed right down the road from us and stuff, and they were using Bloody Butcher. And oh, yeah. I've heard some other people say, oh, we're the only people in America doing this. And it's hard to say you're the only person doing something yeah. in America. <laughs> Even when I think we started, I, Bloody Butcher was our first. Yeah. It, it's actually in our moonshine. Yeah. That which is, was our clear spirit. So we've been doing bloody they butcher the longest using it first, and, and then and it, somebody else had 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 it. Filled. But I grew the first bloody butcher corn for us in, in at home in Illinois. We have uh, some acreage in order for us to to try it out, and then we had it for a while from the Amish country, and now it's it's actually grown right out over here in Denton locally for us. Um, and each one of them is a little bit different in, in, in the corn. So even where, if when you do Bloody Butcher, it's going to depend where it goes. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, where it's grown reflects its flavor just as much as a lot of things. So, so I think, and that was one of the big inspirations for us early on. You saw Jephtha doing Bloody Butcher. You saw the guys doing Jimmy Red out in South Carolina. I think it's High Wire. There you saw Wiggle mm-hmm. up in the Northeast was doing a lot of experimentation. Yeah. And then the first time that I tasted something made with a different type of corn was balcones. And did you say the, wiggle? Wiggle, yeah. I knew I was right. Jim, did you hear that? Wiggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said it's Weigel. Oh, I, I, it could be. I, I, I just, I'm hoping we're about me and you're right. Okay. Right. We're, we're, we should be right. right. <laughs> um, and then balcones with their blue corn. I think that was the first time I tasted one that was made with a different. And I was, it, it's a completely different animal. And so that was like, well, if that's what blue corn does and we see these guys, every bunch of people doing, what else could we find out there that'd be something that's cool, different flavors? And so that was kind of a 
experimentation train that we've been on. And so every year we distill two or three new different varietals of corn. Marsha grows. She's actually grown some. Did you some- see my corn as you came in? The wind got it a bit last night, but it is atomic orange. Now, I don't haven't seen anybody using atomic orange. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. So, How much of that did you grow? Well, it is and- six feet by 60 feet and it's about 10 inches apart. So we'll see how much we get. <laughs> so it's enough to do basically to grow enough to get an acre grown next year and for us to experiment a little bit on a small scale. And so what's an acre of corn? What would that produce? It depends on the corn. Some you can get quite a bit of bushels of, of final grain off of, and some of the older corns yield one cob on each plant, maybe. And so some of the older corns you can get very, very low bu- bushel yield. So it just takes a while to develop your seed corn. But when they, when it's four dollars for a packet, you can't, uh, can't, 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 you, you, can't th- you can't make whiskey out of that. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I've asked another distillery this, and since you're. You seem like you know your dang corn pretty well. So I think Illinois grows a lot of popcorn, like actual popcorn. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what that would taste like in whiskey. Um, so the only the biggest issue with using like flint corns and popcorn is that the because they're so high in protein, the yield is super low. So we do use a, a flint corn for part of one of our mash bills, the flint corn. That we're the talking one you to. just had a minute ago, Promethean. Has a lot of the, that flint, flint corn. corn on it. You know, it, it does, it, they've got tons of flavor. And I think that's really fun. But the yield is, again, I think when I was talking with a friend up in Oklahoma that did a 100% mash bill with, with one of the flint corns, he was getting something like 20% of the yield that he so typically got. the juice got. isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah, it, at least to him, the, 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 the cost starts jumping up because you're already paying more for the heirloom corn or the, for the flint mm-hmm. corn. And it's uh, the yield is significantly lower. But I don't well, know. That's a better explanation I yeah. got this time. So, I'm, you know, at least I know that it was possible, but it's probably not financially feasible. I have people that keep talking to us about trying to do one like that. And I was like, but that'd be like a $200 bottle of whiskey. And they're like, yeah, that'd be so cool. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. So like your last name, I'm getting a lot of black licorice in the nose on this. And and, and now you 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 um, have jumped yourself up to 131 proof. Yeah. Yeah. So the right big, one, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's 131 proof. This, this is big definitely guy. big boy whiskey yeah. right here. Or big lady, big big woman whiskey, I guess. Mm-hmm. Big flavored whiskey. Big flavored whiskey. Well, let's let's sample this thing. Man, that is uh, that's rich. Mm-hmm. Just coat your mouth with just so many oils and very and, buttery. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of those nice oils because um, we are a pot still distillation and non chill filtered. So you're it. asking me about the swan neck off the still. Was you surprised? I know what it was called. No, I was. I was very <laughs> impressed. Hey, I was actually going to ask you what the degree on on the neck is. Forty five. Forty five degrees. Huh. So it's a sharp downward angle. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've talked to other distilleries about the angle of that and how important it is uh, the angle of that neck and how if you adjusted it just a little bit, how much different your, your distill it is. Distill yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. The line arm because that that's where you uh, that's. Where when the, when it when it uh, you, the condensation changes, it kind of, it doesn't travel; it goes straight down, huh? Yeah, when you hit that. the top of the of when you hit the top of the still, anything that condenses up there is coming through the condenser. It's not going to fall back in the pot. So the reflux yeah. is uh, how much reflux falls back to the pot. Obviously, is zero when you have a downward angle. Where if you see some of the, especially some of the scotches, some of the Highland scotches, they'll tend to have more of an upward angle. So the condon, it'll condense and come back to the pot. So it'll mm-hmm. have a higher reflux rate than it will off a still like that. Well, it's nice to see that you're using a sweet mash and not a sour mash and doing something uh, not a whole lot of people out there are doing. I think there's more and more and more we're seeing um, dis- distilleries go into a sweet mash and not that sour mash. And, yeah, um, breweries can do it. Why can't we? Right? Yeah. I mean, it takes a little bit more work and it, it costs a little bit more, but I think you get a better product in the, in the end. I, and I, I really like it. I think there's there's certain notes that you – to me, they're, they're, you can sacrifice some of the ester production that you can get off of doing the sour mashing uh, with sweet mash. But I, I do think there's a lot of really great flavors that come from sweet mash. Um, and so, again, it's one of those things that I – yeah, same with whether one's <laughs> one or the other is better. Um, 
is is tough, but at least it, to me, it's yeah. something that you get a lot of richness and something that's very different than you typically see. This this right here, this is some phenomenal juice. I would put this right up there with uh, Logic Logic Craig Barrel Proof. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, that's a that's high praise. That's high praise. I think it is. Um, you know, it, it it's just so much complexity in there that caramels are coming through. That toffee's coming through to me. That some rich, warm leather. Um, when I, you know, and you tell people that, but I right. do get some of that. Um, and the oak is coming through on that a little bit too. Not very much, but it's there. Um, and it, it's a dark, beautiful whiskey. That's a thirty-two month old. And who you? Which one of these? You said somebody special picked one of these. So, so this is uh, YouTube. Uh, a lot of the YouTubers come down to Texas every year for the Whiskey Tribe's bass, what they call the Bastards like Ball. Crowded barrel. Yeah. And so when they all got together, one of them asked if they could do a barrel pick while they there. So we brought a bunch of barrels for them to sample, and this is the one that they selected. That so day. this is the YouTube barrel. And Jason from Mash and Drum. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's one of the guys. One, he's the one that picked this. So Jason, that's a great pick, man. I just, I think it's uh, it's definitely a little delicious. It's uh, too bad Jim's not here with me to, to try this. It, I love it. And this is bloody butcher corn and waste saver. Yeah, it's a American oak rare. So working together as a family, there's not very many people. And I, I kind of picked up on something you said when you, Marsha, as you walked outside, you said, hey, I've got my granddaughter here and I'm going to try to get her to do some labeling today. And you were like. Does she's eight these, years old. Did I say that? <laughs> you're like, one of these days she's me running this place. Is that your guys' concept that this will always be a family-owned and run distillery? It's always going to be a family-run distillery. I think that – I think part of the heart and soul of Ironroot is um, us. And if we were gone, I, I don't know how – if it would be the same. Um, I think that also when you start looking at the way people blend, every time big distillery – or big or small, they switch over who's the one that's doing the blending. And there is a shift in the way that the whiskey is going to come out and the way it expresses itself. So I think no matter what, that if that in order for it to stay the way it is, you have to have half the family here. Besides, Marsha's the one who keeps us all in online. I don't know if she was gone, it would be the same around here. Now, how did you get the the, the nickname Mother of Texas Bourbon? You know, we were actually, we were over in Houston and uh, we were at uh, Reserve 101 with Mike uh, Raymond. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking, uh, uh, you, know, you know, about the distillery and everything we were doing. And we'd, we'd met him a number of years earlier when, you know, I think at uh, Tales of the Cocktail when we were like had, everybody had aged whiskey at the tasting and we had moonshine, right? And um then he followed us through, and, and and we were down there talking. And he—that's what he, he called me that at one point. And then uh, it kind of just started sticking. Other people would pick it up, and and yeah, you know, Dan Garrison started calling you mother yeah. of Texas whiskey. And once Wait. he did, I think it, that was it was like, all right, that's that's actually well, her nickname and, and, now. And then and Jared and from yeah. from Balcones, and it's because Roberts and Jonathan say I mother them all to death, you know, because we all, you know, as you say, even it's a Jared, good, she mothers. Yeah, he's such a sweetheart, <laughs> isn't he? Um, they, uh, uh, I think that everybody's so close and, and, and there's such an age difference between, uh, uh, myself and most of the distillers. So, uh, and, and if they can't remember your name, it's easy to call you mom, right? Well, that, that would be true and stuff. <laughs> me, me and you might be around the road. So, so. I, I still think that's cool that they have that. To me, that is just a show of respect of the respect they have for Iron Root and they have for you, Marsha. That I appreciate uh, I'm, that. I'm just super impressed sitting down with you and listening to you tell me about the whiskeys and stuff here. Um, I really didn't know a whole lot about Iron Root <clears throat> until today. I looked up a little bit and did a little research, and um, I knew you guys were a family distillery. And I talked to Robert a couple times, um, but to hear your knowledge of whiskey. Um, and how much I can I can hear the love for it in your voice, <laughs> and hearing you talk about growing corn and and how you want to see this grow, and then you want to see your granddaughter get into it, um, and the pride that you have in your two boys. I, I just you know I I think that's an awesome thing. Thank you. It's just it, 
to me, it's amazing. And that keeps that bourbon culture, that whiskey culture going uh, or people like you. Well, even if you look back to your Kentucky, those are old family. They're all, you know, related. And, you know, it, that's how the bourbon community, I think, has grown up forever. Oh, Some, someone's got a mom. Right? <laughs> I've had people tell me that, you know, they're they're not related. But when you really do look at it, there were just a couple of gentlemen that started distilleries in Kentucky and those families kind of morphed out into all kinds of stuff. You know, you have uh, W.L. Weller and he really is the, the, the grandfather, granddaddy or whatever you want him to call him, the OG of weeded whiskey. Um, you know, there would be no maker's mark without him. There would be no Pappy Van Winkle without him. Cause he's the guy that said, let me take some weed and put it in whiskey and see how it tastes. Mm. Um, Guys like Elijah Craig and JTS Brown. There would be no Brown Foreman without JTS Brown, I don't think. Um, there would be no Wild Turkey. There, those those distillers just wouldn't be there today. So there's the there's the family you're born into, and the family that 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 you that you grow and and develop with. And I think that there's can be a combination of both. That's definitely so true. Uh, you know, I, I think me and Jim are always, um, we always feel like we're family when we, somebody invites us into the distillery and says, Hey, let us share our whiskey with you. Um, and we're always so honored that you open up your doors. And today you brought me in here, not only me, but I brought my son along with me and said, bring him on. Let's, and we went Let's back go. in your warehouse and, you know, you, you thieve some whiskey for us and let us taste some pretty special barrels back there. Um, I was trying to carry one out with me. <laughs> um, but we have those you know, those big 63s. Now you just can't do those, right? I don't know. I, I can <laughs> to try. I can we give try. it the old college try, right? I'm a big, I'm a big fella. I might be able to get one of the things. I can roll it around for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how to get it off that top shelf, but I'll figure a way out. Just get up there and kick, right? <laughs> so you got one other expression for us to try today. One other one. Other one. So this one is going to be off the beaten path with this one. Um, so uh, this one, this whiskey is kind of a fun special whiskey for us because this is one that we did um with one of our mentors nancy fraley we developed it with her over um over drinking lots of very old armagnac with another type of brandy one day at her house yeah so um, her and my like brother decided that um corn whiskey and again marsh doesn't like when i say this but the uh i call it the the it's the redheaded stepchild of the whiskey world it's the yeah, uh, most le definitely. least respected category so what would happen if we took corn whiskey and we treated it like scotch, which, you know, the most revered of all the whiskey styles, I guess, if you would. And so we took a uh, corn whiskey and we aged it in port barrels. And the other part was in old scotch barrels from, from Isla. So it's got this smoky peatiness that you're going to get from the, from the scotch barrels. And then it's also got that port cask influence, but the richness of a corn whiskey. So um, it's, Iron Roots owed to Scotland a little bit, but uh, it's kind of a fun little whiskey. And it's going to go back to your purple corn, purple mash bill. And the reason why we chose it was because um, it's the basis of our hubris, which is the corn whiskey, which uh, was our first uh, first whiskey that was recognized uh, at a young age. And it won the, the best uh, corn whiskey in the world a couple of times. And um, so, uh, Jonathan, this was his pauper that he treated like a prince. And so when we started with hubris, the name Icarus develops from it because we took hubris who got so full of himself that he got flew a little too close to the sun and became Icarus. That's a, that, I mean, that's a good tie in right yeah. So the joke is he's a little smoky cause he got burnt by the sun when he was a little too close to him. So, so it's going to be a little bit of peak character. That's all from cask influence as well as the port. So if people are coming to Denison, what else is there to do up at Denison? So we've got, uh, uh, again, you've got a number of, you've got 903 brewers down in Sherman that's really well known for their slushy beers, which is kind of like a uh, a mixture between a, uh, a health drink and beer, if you will. Um, it's got a lot of fruit in it. It's a kind of a cool style of beer. You've got one of the largest vineyards in the state um, is about five miles from the distillery. It was planted in the 80s, so it's a bunch of old growth vines called Hidden Hanger. Um, so it's absolutely gorgeous. You've got Eisenhower's Birthplace is here in Denison, so you can go go visit old Ike's uh, place. And then you've got uh, Lake Texoma, 
um, here that's the largest lake in the state. It's huge, huge, huge lake. You can put yachts on it. Yeah, it's striper fishing out there is phenomenal. So, Mom, I'll tell you a story about that lake. Oh, well, uh, it can be told on there. Though. And, 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 and we have a really nice downtown, and Denison is just beginning to flourish again downtown. And we've got some um, nice little restaurants that are starting up. They're even redoing the old hotel that was. Uh, it's being refurbished and started. So there is so much growth and excitement going to be coming to Denison. We've got uh, a number of new restaurants. Um, and so. Um, and if you get a wild hair, the casino ain't too far from here either. Yeah, so. we're only eight <laughs> miles from Choctaw. So there's a lot to do to come up here. If you're yeah. going to say, hey, I'm in Denison, you know, stop by the distillery. They're right off. 75. 75. Um, yeah. Exit 67. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, come in here. Uh, they're not doing tours right now, but starting uh, in July, end of July, end we'll of start, July, start doing tours again. You'll come back for tours and come in here and, and buy some whiskey for them for sure. Um, so this expression, I'm nosing a little bit. It's got that, I don't know, that something a little bit different there. There mm. you go to the port. It's the port and the, and the peat is what's going to be coming through on the nose. So it's, again, peat has this crazy flavor profile they talk about like medicinal um where it's like uh get a little bit of iodine saltiness a little bit of smoke but it's not wood smoke um so it's not quite barbecue but it's um it's got almost again medicinal um again the sketch the the port comes through with the sweetness Mm -hmm. i could smell a sweetness coming out there almost like a floral like some roses or something oh yeah or candy, can, uh, cotton candy. Cotton candy. It's an old tawny port barrel. Uh, it right? is an old tawny port barrel. It was originally filled in 1969. Wow. And it was dumped in 2016. So, yeah, it was, it was an vin- old vintage port cask. So, I used to think tawny meat meant, meant old dirty woman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could. I don't know. Yes, it depends <laughs> on your reference mm. points. <laughs> All right, let's taste this thing. And I think this is it at a nice 107.2. To- yeah. I can get that smokiness and a little bit of just, just a little out. bit of peat coming mm-hmm. out. Yeah, we wanted to go – it's a milder on the peat, and again, that's where the port cast kind of helps. So it, if you're not a, like a Lafroig fan or one of those Ardbeg or one of those really big peat, this isn't that level of peat. It's going to be more, much lighter on um, peat profile. But that, that Tawny Port barrel is just – coming through on this mm-hmm. i did that sweetness that it, it's just like it, i have actually drank some of my wife's uh she's got she loves hummingbirds mm-hmm. she loves feeding them suckers and before she went to cook at her own uh sugar water for him she'd buy the concentrate stuff i was like i want to see what this tastes like so i it says do not not for human consumption but hey whatever it's, sugar it's water. because they put all the red in it right <laughs> yeah so i drank a little bit and i it it is Super flavorful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I wanted that I could taste that on there. Mm-hmm. Just that kind of cooked sugar water a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not honeyish so much, but I can definitely get that ports coming through too. And that just coats the mouth. It's a thick whiskey for sure. And I think that um with some of the the the, the peats, you get you get some of that sweetness with it. And so it's not like the campfire style st- uh, style of the uh, smoke. It's it, it really pulls up that sweetness of the of that that type of the uh, peat finish. Yeah, I, I, whenever I think of smoke and stuff, there's different styles of smoking. If you got a peat smokiness, but when I think of, of barbecue smoke, um, I think of fruit wood. But you know, I'm from the hill country, so we used uh, down there. We use a lot of pecan mm-hmm. to smoke stuff with, and I can get that. That pecan smoke is a more of a sweeter smoke where hickory or mesquite's gonna be that more rough and ragged um, kind of smoke. But this is a more of a fruit wood, like an apple wood or a peach wood yeah, or something that like lighter, that. Lighter, lighter, sweeter smoke yep. profile for sure. Definitely a great another great expression. I you I don't know if you picked all these six barrels and said, damn, we're gonna impress this guy, but six great whiskeys that you've put out in front of me today. Icarus mm. came out about two weeks ago, and it's uh, it, it's uh, primarily a distillery. It'll go out to a few stores. Yeah, mainly um, we do it for for here. For only us. once a year, though. And so, um, you guys just had a release uh, on Saturday and sold out. You said before two well, hours before you even opened the doors. Opened yeah. the doors. 
Yeah, with the COVID stuff, normally we'd have a line and we'd do fun stuff out with people on the line. But with COVID, we were just when people were showing up, we were getting tickets to go, hey, go get breakfast, drink coffee, show up anytime between when we're open and come pick up your bottle. But this, if you're the first 60 people here on that, we were giving out tickets. Um, but typically we do when we do releases, we try to have like 300 something or, or something bottles here of whatever we're releasing. Um, this one we did not just because we we're trying to get it more into market because um, the stores have been dry for quite a while now. So we're trying to make sure we got more whiskey to them. That's what we're working on today. We better yeah, get yeah. out there and get going. <laughs> labeling, huh? labeling whiskey. Labeling and bottling whiskey ready. today. One fifteen. We might just have to take a couple bottles with us to, yeah. to, to back to Kentucky and, and share them with our listeners because we we love to do that. Uh, you know, some of our listeners that are very passionate about whiskey sometimes we'll send some samples out to them that we've had on the show that they might not be able to get their hands on, and that we'll drink it along with them and. They just, I think they like that, that I, we're going to share some whiskey with them that we've picked up and that other people can't get their hands on. I, I just think our bourbon culture is that way where people are sharing and sharing knowledge and sharing whiskey. That's what I'm, it's about. I'm not a bourbon expert. Like I say all the time, I'm just a bourbon bullshitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where can uh, our listeners find you guys on social media? On social media, you're going to find us at Iron Root Republic or Iron Root Whiskey. Um, so on Facebook, you type in Iron Root, we're going to pop up. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, it's Iron Root Whiskey. Uh, that's the best kind of place to Web find us. Page ironrootrepublic.com on the website. And that's where you sign up for tours. And we also have sales. And we, you, you can, can, buy, bottles you can buy bottles online, but you have to pick them up at the distillery. But you have like, we'll give you a year. So if you're from out, out of uh, the Texas area and you say, gee, I think I can make it down there, but I really want this release. Once you've purchased it, we will hold it for a year for you. So uh, um, that gives an opportunity for you if you think you're going to have a chance to come on down. Come and visit. Yeah. She's trying to get that Texas twang coming out a little bit there. You always get a little bit when you live here, you know. Yeah. It's like y'all or all y'all. You got to know the difference between your singulars and plurals right here. <laughs> so, Rob and Marsha, I just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for letting us come into your distillery. Thank you for You're driving welcome. all the way to come over here. This is Love not me, a short drive. You and bringing your son. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your whiskey with us and your, your knowledge of whiskey and and your guys' take on Texas whiskey. Um, it's a great place to be. I think you guys are just putting the whoop ass down on people with this whiskey. Um, I love it. Um, and if somebody else sells different wise, say uh, you go see big chief. <laughs> <laughs> so, Appreciate that. so you can find uh, the bourbon road on Instagram and on Facebook at the bourbon road. Um, you can go to our website, the bourbon road.com where you can uh, find our blogs about our episodes. Um, you can find stuff about me and Jim on there. You can also order our Glen Cairns, the Bourbon Road Glen Cairn on there. Also on Facebook, go into our Facebook group. We have a private group on there called the Bourbon Roadies. Go in there. We have distillers in there in the part of that group. Um, we have master tasters. We have whiskey experts, uh, historians. Go in there. Show us what you're drinking. Take photos and, and show us what your Bourbon Road is. We'd love to see that. And I'm sure everyone else would, too. And we'll see you on down the bourbon road. We do appreciate all of our listeners. And we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And if so, we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on iTunes. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly we always welcome comments or suggestions and if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic be sure to let us know and again thanks for hanging out with us 